0: This is Outside the Camp, Sarat, our community and how to stay positive with quarantine. Uh, this is part of Drisha's ongoing New York City Summer Colo, where we've had the pleasure of learning in person in the Beit Josh. And this week we'd like to kind of share a bit of Night Seder with the Greater Community, near FAR, near HIR or on the other side of the world. And so tonight with Dr. Jacobowitz and with our several, quite a few of our colour fellows. It's going to be good and for those of us who can you know well it's been a pleasure to have Dr. Chico, Tammy with teach at Risha in the past before for those who don't know her she is the chair of the bible department at SAR high school she's also the founding director of Makom Siach at SAR she's taught bible for the western program and has been an adjunct faculty member at Yeshiva Kolbe Torah she's a graduate of Risha's scholar circle and completed her PhD in Midrash at the University of Pennsylvania in 2010. she's currently at are you still currently work on a partial book? for um, geared towards parents, meaning towards young children. She lives in the city of Teaneck with her husband and their, and their family.
1: Good evening. All right, thank you, Kayla. And thank you, Miriam Gedweiser for inviting me to join the Colel community. Um, particular shout out to my former student, Isaac Deutsch. It's so nice to see you back on the Zoom screen, although it would have been better to see you in person actually. Um, but this is awfully familiar. It is always a pleasure to teach for Drisha. Drisha is my home base. Drisha is the place that nourished and cultivated my love, not just of learning, but of teaching. So it always is a a wonderful opportunity to be back at home um, and teaching the Drisha community. Tonight's class, um, which Kayla just recited the title, and I will also echo her encouragement of becoming a panelist. Um, We will have opportunity for, interactivity questions and answers and conversation when we're learning the text I can't see you if you're not a panelist um, and I don't suspect that you can actually offer a comment if you're not a panelist is that true
0: you need um, to be actually uh you can rate if you're a panelist, if you're not if you're an attendee not a panelist and you'd like to stay that way you can you see as Noah's demonstrating the raise your hand icon I will see that and I'll be happy to uh give you the ability to Turn on your computer turn on your screen, be you seen and ask a question. Okay,
1: great. So everyone proceed as you were already um, doing. Uh, tonight's tonight's class, um, just a bit of a, of an introduction before we get started. The last time I taught this particular class, I hastily crafted the title, which is subtitled um, Can you recite it again, actually? Outside the camp. Sarat, our community, and how to stay positive with the in quarantine, as it were, the Drisha Kolel is in quarantine. But when I wrote that title, it was March 5th, 2020. And the SIR community at that time had been in lockdown for three days. Rumors were swirling about who was sick in our community and how many people might have been affected. We all at the time, again, three days into this pandemic felt so apart, isolated, fragile, And at the same time, quite interconnected, sitting as I was then, as I am now in Teaneck, New Jersey, New Rochelle felt like it was next door. At that time, I was worried about a lot of things, Um, but I was extremely concerned about how our fear was dividing us, turning us against each other, if only in our minds, as we sought to protect ourselves and our families. And when I taught this year then on Zoom, which at the time was a very new technology for me, I wanted to find a way to redirect our community to address the threats of divisiveness that again were were present in those early days in March, 2020. I wish I could report now and say that those threats were uncalled for and that the fear was uncalled for we're in a different state than we were then, um, which means that I think tonight's topic and hopefully the texts will speak to us in a different way than they did two years ago. Um, And it is always a pleasure for me on a personal level to find opportunities to teach Vayikra. We're gonna do that tonight. We're going to learn a bit of Vayikra. We're gonna learn a bit of Mitrash on Vayikra from the collection Vayikra Rabbah. And hopefully we will find ways, we'll find inroads rather, uh, to bring those Mitrashim to our lives today. So as a student of Vayikra, which I am, um, I'm always looking back to this book, this very dense book, which doesn't appear to have much to say to us today. So many parts of Vayikra are far from us, they are strange, they are foreign, so many reasons why Vayikra is not a book that we can easily bring close to ourselves. But the more we look, the more closely we look, and probably also with, with better and better strategies, Um, we can find ways that Vayikra can sing for us today. One very small and really abstract example, again referring to the divisiveness, the fragmentation that we're all experiencing today, just the idea which is central to the book of Vayikra, that our community can be structured in such a way that there is a sacred center that God is at the center of our camp and that everybody can find their place around that sacred center. That is the vision, the idyllic vision of Vayikra, uh, a vision that is hard to imagine how we could easily bring that into into realization. Um, But using that as a kind of inspiration in a a macro sense and probably also in a micro sense, as we organize our families and as we organize our communities, the possibility, the potential that we could do this kind of work with the sacred center and recognizing, as we, as Vayikra teaches us, that our actions have consequences and unintended consequences are part of the game, Korban Khatat, right? Recognizing that we all do things that we don't necessarily plan to, and yet we have the opportunity to really remind ourselves that we can take responsibility. It's not enough to just say you're sorry, but it's important to recognize that even the things that we, again, don't plan to do have an impact on the collective and have an impact on that sacred center. That's the korban chatat. Very um, kind of low-hanging fruit example of how Vayikra can be relevant for us today. Okay. We're going to get specific tonight and not talk about Vayikra in general. We're going to talk about the the laws of Sarat. Okay, not the place we usually want to go, uh, really ever, and certainly not the place that we would want to go when it's not the Barsha. We're safely away from safer Vayikra. Why are you bringing us back? But Midbar is full of stories. But Sarat, again, as we'll see, if we look at it, and tonight we'll look at it through the lens of the rabbis and the Midrash, we might be able to find opportunities, um, not necessarily in the details of Tzairat, but certainly in the thinking about it to teach us about ourselves and how we can organize our society and our community. So let's talk about Tzairat very briefly. Let me start by actually sharing my screen.
2: That was not the way I wanted to do. Let me try that again. Well, I guess I'm stuck with that. Okay.
1: All right. Is that good? Now I can only see Miriam and Isaac, and Kayla. But everybody else, I trust that you have not left. Okay. Um. Oh, Maxine, there you are. All right. Um, So if we look very briefly at the psukim that we have here in Vayikra, Parakid Gimel, these are just a sampling, which I would say is quite enough. Okay. One of the problems with reading tzarat is that there are so many details. It is very repetitive. And just when you think you're done with the laws of tzarat on a person's body, the Torah takes us to two other categories, which are quite similar. Tzarat of clothing and tzarat of houses, of course. So here we have just the beginning of things and the end of the section that deals with tzarat haguf, the tzarat of the body. Now, what's what's very interesting about sarat, I told Miriam I was very careful about the spelling here, not to translate it as leprosy. There's so much discussion and scholarship about what exactly sarat looks like. It's certainly not anything exactly that we have today. Is it more like psoriasis? Is it a a kind of catch all for all kinds of skin diseases? Um, It was was connected with leprosy, probably because of leper colonies and the idea of being forced outside of the camp which is so central to the way that the torah talks about sarat but it's really clear when you start looking at the psukim and sarat that we're not talking about um, contagion of the sort that we are accustomed to Um, now i should say before we before we go any further um, one of the very tiny silver linings that i experienced through this pandemic is that these psukim about sarat again which most people don't really want to look at that carefully Sort of made more sense to us the more we got into the precautions of of covid of covid life so the, the 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 distancing and the counting and the days and who were you next to and how did you talk to them and were they masked or unmasked so many of the details of covid which were bewildering and and ever-evolving I think they gave us a bit of an appreciation for some of the details that we find in in Vayikra on Sarat, not to say that they're the same, but they have a lot of similarities, uncanny set of similarities, the more you look closely. But but, but Sarat, as I was saying earlier, is not a disease that all these rituals and all of these separations and the timing and all that is meant to limit contagion, the spread of the disease and the way that we would talk about it today. Um, and there are lots of reasons right off the bat that we know that is can't be talking about contagion. Um, anybody want to want to jump in? What's one of the the clear pieces of evidence that sarat can't be a kind of contagious disease? Any ideas?
0: All right. Well, for starters, there's no doctors, right? Kayla, go ahead. I just want to highlight a question, uh, a response in chat from John Morrison, that the whole body can be covered and still be pure.
1: That's right. Okay, one of those very odd details of Sarah. John That's exactly right. You're looking that the the kohen, not the doctor, right, is looking at the body very very closely and looking for the spread of the affliction. But if such a, per, a person ends up having sarat all over his or her entire body, that person is proclaimed tahor. So clearly, that can't be the risk of of contagion or or disease, a skin disease, the way we would have today. Any other any other ideas?
3: I always. Um, um, very like I always think that like it can't possibly be a disease, like or at least a disease that we conceptualize it because um, it can be contracted by houses and clothing, which that just doesn't happen for any of our skin diseases. Like your house doesn't get it,
1: right? Right. So even though we know Isaac, when we're reading it, that it's the Torah is not describing the same thing, although so many of the same details follow through between the three categories. Um, just the fact that they're grouped together, I mean, that's not possible that we're talking about a contagious disease. And while we're talking about clothing and houses, there's a detail within the, the tzarat habayit, which also, even if you could make the leap and say, this is somehow a contagious disease that could show up on clothing and house, right? Do you remember in the in the psukim about tzarat habayit, you don't take anything out of the house until the house is considered to be tame. So if you were worried, Right beforehand that the the house might be tame, you would take everything out first, right, and then um, the kohen would proclaim it ta- tame or tahor. But that's another detail that proves our our understanding that Sarat is really quite different. It is not a medical contagious disease um, in the way that we're used to. Okay, very nice. So so where do we go from here? Um, if you think about um, this skin condition, which is not, the concern is not contagion, but the concern is bodies erupting, right? And Aviva Zornberg, in her new book on Vayukra, just to show in case you haven't already purchased it, and I am not pay for this, but I highly recommend, um, in her book, she talks about how it almost makes you jealous for a time when there could be something like tzarat, because our bodies, as we know, are a barrier between our inside and our outside. So much of our inside is displayed on our skin, a very porous barrier. And the idea of tsarad is you're living at a time when infractions of the social or the theological kind could be visible to others, right? It could be understood by others through your skin. We don't live in such a time. Um, But if we are back to our psukim, what do we do with these psukim? What did Chazal do with these psukim post-Mikdash? When the Kohen and the Kohen functioning as he did in this psukim, doesn't, no longer plays that function. And you come to whatever skin disease you have, whatever we have today, we don't go through this kind of ritual response. We don't have to separate ourselves and we don't have to eventually bring korbanot in order to come back to the community. How do we make sense of these psukim? How do we draw inspiration or understanding from them as to how to live in society? So, what I want to show you tonight is one idea, one idea that might seem so obvious to us because we're familiar with it from lots and lots of places, but I want to show you how this idea gets developed in Chazal and what the takeaway could be for us. Okay, before we look at that idea, I always like to start before I teach any Vaikarabha with this opening. Passage um, in Vayikra Rabbah itself, where we kind of listen in on the rabbis thinking together uh, with each other and then therefore sharing with us, the readers, the crisis of reading Vayikra. And let's think about it very specifically when it comes to Sarat. Did I make that too small or everybody can still see? Okay, I'm going to assume it's fine. Okay. Rabbi, uh, yeah, Kayla. Uh, no, slightly bigger, please. Okay. For those of us who forgot their glasses. Okay. When it gets so big and then it covers over the people that I can see, you can still see it, though, right? Okay. Rabbi Achav shame. Rabbi Henina Bar Papa. Shelo ye you, Yisrael, O Mim, Hayinu Makrivim Korbanot, Umita Skin Bahen, Achshav Shein Korbanot, Mahu Lihita Sek Bahen. So I call this listening in on the crisis because you hear Rabbi Affa suggesting, right, the problem of now that we can't offer korbanot, which again is korbanot are the the item that we most associate with Vayikra, most tied to the Miktash, but is really symptomatic or emblematic of many other aspects of a yikr, including tumantara, which, which sarat is a part. Now that we can't actually perform these mitzvot, we can't offer korbanot, we can't get ourselves out of a state of sarat, mahu asek bahen. The English translation says, why should they involve themselves with them? That's actually interesting. It's in the third person plural, right? Not we, but why should the Jewish people? It's almost as if the rabbis are saying, listen, we're going to keep doing it, but why should everybody else do it? Right, why should they continue to, well, how would you say that differently? Lihit aseik involve themselves. What does that bring up for you? Right, last b'divrei Torah, right? Why bother learning the psukim if I can't glean from them the pragmatic concrete items that traditionally Jews would glean from the psukim in Vayikra because they could apply them. And the answer that the Midrash gives in the name, in the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is since you will be involving yourself with them, meaning studying the psukim deeply, it will be as if, Ma'ale ani from the voice of God, in a very crass way of putting it, I'll give you credit, right? It will be enough. It will be as if you were following all the way through and your study was leading you to service. Your study will be in place of worship which if we take in a kind of maximal way, right, that's actually suggesting, which probably most people who are on the, the Zoom tonight already feel this way, that Torah study is a form of divine worship. It's actually in a, in, a, in a maximal sense. And then you have to really think about how that works, right? Is it when you're learning a particular subject? Is it when you're learning in a particular way? Right? When does study st- cease being about or transformed from being intellectual stimulation and engagement and, and going somewhere else, which is, as, as if a hakrava, okay? Whereas as if a korban itself, something to think about. But here the rabbis are proposing a kind of engagement with the psukim and Vayikra that the Amoreic rabbis and Vayikra rabbah don't themselves do. They're ironically here describing the approach which was taken up by the Tanaitic Midrash the collection known as the Sifra, right? And the Sifra goes very slowly, atomistically, when you read a pasuk, right? If you found a repetitive in the psukim themselves, take a look at the Sifra. It's connecting every section of every pasuk with practice. Very slow, very steady. <speaking in Spanish> okay, that's the approach that's taken by the Sifra. And it's not the one that I want to share with you tonight, because that would take us ever further into the details of Sarad and would not take us in a direction that then could be usable for people like us who are not ever going to practice. Sure. Kayla, go ahead. Um, are you reading? Are you, can you scroll down a bit as you
0: uh, read the sources? I can, I'm still seeing kind of the top of your source sheet. Oh, now do you see it? Mm, no, that's
1: very odd i think perhaps
2: you froze the screen
1: oh um hmm. okay let's do that again hello everyone
0: uh i'm seeing your emails i'm not sure if i should be seeing your emails
1: is that good
0: uh if your screen sharing is paused on tap um I think your screen is shared. You might want to turn off your screen sharing for a bit. I'm seeing your email inbox, which you may yes. not <laughs> want to broadcast to the, yes. Very um, awkward. Do you want to screen share it, Kayla, since you have yes, access to uh, I am happy to do that. One moment. Let me pull it up. Yeah, I just noticed you were uh, talking, you were uh, we were hearing you hearing you teach and the sources on screen were not exactly matching the sources on. Uh
1: I can also try one more time. Are you you got uh, it?
0: I believe I have it all right um,
1: okay. Can people see me as I scroll? Yeah. All right. Take us to um, keep going.
2: Okay, but it's kind of small. All right. Let me just get to the right place and I will zoom things in. This finger not big enough
0: all right so um at the vicaraba portion again
1: yeah so now we're we're going to be on number two all
0: right
1: okay is there can you open it a little bit so that we can see the english and the hebrew at the same time can you open your bottom uh i'll see um, this one
0: Not, no, not here.
1: I don't think I have the same. Okay. So why don't we just look at, why don't we just have the English open then? All right. Okay. Yeah. Could you make it fill? Rebecca has a good idea. Can you make it fill the whole screen? Sure, one moment. I'm just going
0: to stop the chair for a minute so I can get it set up. Apolo- uh, my apologies.
2: Okay. A lot of dramatic tension until we yep. get the
1: midrash. Yes. What will they say about Sarat? Okay. Hopefully. Now we see more. Okay, leave it there. That's fine. And then if you don't mind staying with me in case I need to move it down. Mm-hmm. All right. So what I was alluding to before when I said the big idea of the midrash is one that you're very familiar with. Um, if I were to ask all of you, you hear the word Sarat, what is your association? What would you say? Anybody at all? Isaac, what would you say? Lashon, uh, oops, I just gave you the association. Sarat, you would have said, Isaac, La Hara, right? And and if you had to attach a piece of evidence to that, what would you say? I would say, Go ahead. Um,
3: well, what I recall is, uh, so there are two things. One, I recall that... Um, Miriam was stricken with um after she spoke about, about Moshe with Aaron, and also, I if I I don't remember where I got it, but Mitsorah being a contraction of motse ra.
1: Okay, so the second thing you remember is comes from the midrash which we're about to read. Okay, the first thing that you remember it's very interesting. Two sort of counterpoints to that. Of course, Isaac is right. That is where the association comes from. But number one, if you look closely at that story in Bamidbar, there reasons to think that it's not so simple to connect what happened over there, um, Sarat, as a um, connection to Lashon Hara. Number one, yes, V'tedaber, Miriam, Ve'a Okay, so they're both, we know the famous question, why V'tedaber, why in the singular and the feminine when there's two players, why does she get it, not him? Number two, it's not actually clear that what went on there, the, the, the real um, wrongdoing was Lashon Hara, could have also been jealousy. It could have also been right not appreciating who Moshe was. There are many different ways of framing the episode there. Nowhere does it say you know, clearly that there's Lashon Hara. Number two as a kind of counterpoint is that all over the Tanakh, people who have tzara'at seem to get tzara'at for lots of different wrongdoings, arrogance being the more popular in terms of frequency um, than Lashon Hara. And arguably you could say that Miriam, it was also bad arrogance in a certain kind of frame. <laughs> Um,
3: Uh, I'm thinking of um, King Uziah, who he brought Katorat when he was like he's not a Kohen and was stricken with Sarah.
1: That's right. Okay. Now, putting that aside, although that's very important to remember, we also, when we look at the Psukim in Vayikra, there is no reason, according to the Psukim in Vayikra, why, why anybody gets tsarat. It never says, right, if a person does x, y, or z, and then they get Sarat. it says adam kiya the right? It shows up. It's akin to what, what, what is very close by in tzria, which is, you know, blood flow and, and seminal emissions, stuff that happens to your body by way of normal life. Tzarat, the way that it shows up in Vayikra, really just seems like another thing that could happen to you, which demands a ritual response back to where we began. And if you don't respond to it, you threaten the sacred center. So the idea of connecting any kind of sinful behavior to the appearance of Tzarat is nowhere in Vayikra. And when it becomes popularized, such that you know Isaac, when prompted very gently, would automatically say, of course, Lashon Hara, that is not from the Tanakh itself that is from the Midrash. And, and, and we're going to see two examples tonight of where Lashon Hara through that wordplay that he mentioned, um, Tarat HaMetzarat, Tarat becomes the kind of you know, um, solid association that we all make with Sarat. With now, what's really interesting about it, if you take a step back for a minute, is that by focusing on, by focusing on Lashon Hara, Um, What the rabbis are really doing in an era when they could no longer keep the laws of Tzarat is they're moving away from the focus of the psukim, which is what do you do if this this shows up on your body and how do you manage this color and this shape and this size and these numbers and move it entirely to a discussion of how do I avoid getting it in the first place, right? And when we're living in a time when, again, how do I avoid getting the first place? And if you do get it, nothing's going to happen anyhow you end up creating an entire discourse that's about Lashon Hara. It's no longer really about Sarat at all. It's shifting the focus away from this bodily condition to an opportunity to really think about, uh-oh, did we lose our host? Um, to think about what kind of conditions a society could, um, could create. That would cause this kind of erosion, and what kind of conditions a society could create that would uphold the social fabric? Okay, I think Miriam. I think that we lost um, Kayla, so I'm going to try again to screen share, and hopefully this time it will work. Please tell me it's working. Is it working? Yes. Okay. So take a look yeah, at. It's when you're moving. Okay. Take a look at this example right here. This example is Vayikra Rabba Parsha Ted Zion. Um, it is one of the Midrashic Parshiot in Vaikra Rabbah, which, again, does not take the approach of the Sifra, does not go into the details, but instead takes a, an abstract idea, amplifies it from the Pesukim, and creates an entire discourse around it that is relevant for its contemporary audience in the 5th century, but dare I say still relevant today. The Midrash begins with the Pesuk from Tihilim. We know what comes next because we sing it. The Midrash opens with a pasuk in Tehillim and then gives us a maaseh, a story which is meant to be taken seriously as a story that actually happened, right? Not to be confused with a mashal, which is very clearly a parable that does not draw details from real life, so to speak, um, from the rabbinic era. When a midrash begins with a pasuk that is not of the sefer that we're studying, in our case, Vayikra, but rather from another sefer, we can be certain that we're looking at a patikhta. And this is a literary um, conceit that we find in the Amoraic Midrashim. And it, it's similar to the way, if you haven't heard me talk about a patikhta before, it's similar to the way that a rabbi today opens up a sermon with a tidbit, right? Something from sports, something from current events, um, very often sort of marking their claim by what kind of tidbit they share, giving their congregation a sense of what they think people will be interested in, right? And, and sort of putting their cards on the table. In the rabbinic era, that tidbit was always a pasuk. And the pasuk came from Sifrei Chochmah, from the wisdom literature, mostly sukim that are otherwise very general and open and are therefore ripe for interpretation. Now, what's interesting about this Pasuk in Zehilim, I'm sorry, I don't have the whole quote in front of you, but it sort of shifts person, right? Who is the man who is eager for life, who desires years of good fortune? That's like an open statement, speaking to no one really at all. And then the next Pasuk, Nitzor lishon Meira, U Sfatecha Mirma, that is speaking directly, right, to another person, that second person. So there's something funny already about these two psukim together. This is unusual, as you'll see, but the petechta is really making use of both of those psukim, not just the one that's quoted at the beginning. You still with me? Okay, so here's the ma'aseh. I'm going to move now to, um, oh, we'll do in a little bit in the Hebrew and then we'll switch to the English. Ma'aseh b'rochel echad, shahayam mechazer b'ayarot ha-smuchot le-tzipori, v'hayam ve Man bail mizbein samchaim yetei yesev. Right, so there was a story, and 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 this story is meant to illustrate how this pasuk in Tehillim has anything to do with tzarat. There was a rochel, a traveling merchant, who was going around all the cities close to Tzipori. So we're in the north of Israel, and he would announce very loudly, anybody who wants to buy a samchaim should come and should take, or really probably should come and should pay. So he came around to a particular town called Akhbara, and he came very close to the house of Ravyanai, who was sitting and learning in his dining room. I'm switching now to the English. He heard him declaring, meaning Ravyanai heard the Rochel declaring, all who want to buy an elixir of life. Ravianai examined him. I always picture him sort of going close to the window, opening up the curtains, taking a good look at this rochel. He looks close at him and he calls out to him, come here, come and sell some to me, said the merchant to Rabbi Yanai, no, you don't need it, neither you nor those like you. Rabbi Yanai pressed him, he insisted, so he came close to him brought out a book of tehilim more likely a scroll and showed him the pasuk miha isha chafet chayim oevyamim lirotov what is written right after it nitzor lishoncha meira usfatacha midaber mirma so meira asetev vakeshalom vered fehu said rabayana my whole life I have been reading that pasuk, and I did not know how to explain it until this traveling merchant came and pointed it out. Who is the man who is eager for life? Okay, what is going on in this story? What's your take? Here's the audience participation part. What do you think is going on? Are you surprised by the story? Are you surprised by Raviana's response? Are you surprised by the merchant's response? are you thinking you're about to say something
0: um uh, just want to highlight something in chat again from john saying i am confused by ravianai's confusion of the pasuk
1: oh okay good so that's it so starting with the ending okay what does that even mean at the end of the story that ravianai said i've been reading that pasuk my whole life and i never knew what it meant right hu-pashut how it is flattened how it is made plain how to understand it until you showed up. And now I understand it. So there's really two questions for me that come from that moment. First of all, what did he learn, right? What was it that he didn't understand that he now understands? And why does he need a rochel to explain that to him, right? Or or how does he come to that understanding through the rochel standing in front of him? Okay, good, that's a great question. What else? What else is puzzling about this story? What do you think about the the Rochel's response when he says, oh no, none for you?
3: Yeah, I'm curious how how so presumably it's like because he knows Rabiyani's character, but why I'm curious, like, how does he know Rabiyana's character?
1: What do you mean by his character? What does he what does he assume about him?
3: I think he assumes that he's someone who is nitzor Lishon chamei ras Daber m'irma, which I don't know, maybe because I don't know, maybe smicha or something. But like, how how does he know any of that?
1: Okay, so first of all, is that a fair assumption, right? If Isaac is right, and he's looking at this guy who, okay, project the look that you want to project, but he's very clearly identifiable with a rabbinic class. And he's saying, yeah, because it's not just you and your character, but nobody like you. Again, what does that mean? Nobody who looks like you, right? Nobody who seems to have a fancy dining room. Nobody who seems to be learning Torah. I don't know, right? But he puts him with a whole group and he says, oh, no, no, this is not for you. Now, why is it? Isaac's suggestion is, well, maybe he just assumes, um, right? He's already engaged in, in the Lishon lishon But wait, one second, Isaac, back up. So what's going on here with the Sam Chaim? What is that Sam Chaim? Is the is the rochel
2: actually selling something? Um, I mean,
0: it's not clear. It could, yeah, like because he just said, "Come and take it." And then maybe it was because Ravyan, I said he wanted like to sell to him that he said he wouldn't. But it's a very mysterious character.
1: Right, it's very mysterious. I mean, you wouldn't expect a merchant who's trying to make a buck to then turn aside a customer, right? So one possibility, I'm actually intrigued by this, although I'm not convinced by it, but one possibility is he actually wasn't selling anything at all. Um, And so, you know, there's Sama usually in folklore, right, it's like a quack, somebody who's saying, oh, he has an elixir of life, Ein Kaze, there's no such thing really, right, so maybe he didn't even have any elixir in his pouch, maybe what he had in his pouch all along was the scroll of Tehillim. Right. And so maybe he's saying to Rav you've got your own scroll. (laughs) Let me keep my own. All right. You don't need this. Nobody like you. You all are learning Torah already. But when Rav Rav insists, right, then he shows it to him. Okay, that's a possibility. Why? Why do you think that Rav is so interested in the Samhain? Like, what's that about?
3: Do we know anything about Rabianai's life?
1: Um, he is known to be wealthy, right? And he is, and it was interesting that you said character, I'm not certain, but, and you could probably check this later, but I think Raviana is associated with good behavior. Um, you know, if we, if even if we don't go there, Isaac, and we just think about them as representative types, which I think the, the line that you called attention to, right, the rochel, let's 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 kind of map this out. He's circulating, he's outside. Ravyanai, he's inside, right? The rochel is moving from place to place. We can assume, right, in the ancient world, obviously a traveling merchant meant that you're on the go all the time, going from town to town to town. Ravyanai is staying put. He's engaged in a consistent activity, which is studying Torah. The outside is intriguing inside, but actually, Inside, that's more intrigued by the outside, right? And there could be, a, in a certain beginning, a, a critique of Ravianai. What's he doing? He should be staying focused, right? It's like there's like a bee outside and he's focused on that bee. Come on, go back to your Torah study and be that at first the merchant is trying to dissuade him, right? Stay focused. You have, you, you, you go back to your Torah. But Ravana is curious, right? And I think that in the end, in the end, of this rabbinic story is not a critique of Raviana because he's able to learn Torah. He's able to learn an important idea. Again, what is it? We'll see in a moment, but he's able to learn this idea from somebody from the quote unquote outside. It's a a, a kind of typical story. We have lots of them where rabbis learn things from outsiders. Sometimes those outsiders are women. Sometimes right, they're Roman women, they're heretics. In this case, it's a merchant. And it's a way I think where, where, where Chazal, number one, and this is a very 2022 lesson, but teach us that everybody has something valuable to teach and we shouldn't be so closed off in our silos and think that we have access to all all the truth um, and it's also right a, a kind of critique that you might not be able to learn everything you need to know just from study you need to also learn from people who have experience yeah Kayla go ahead
0: I uh, just want to highlight a couple of kind of responses in the chat in no particular order um, first I guess from Rebecca rothberg Nather um saying maybe he is fascinated by people's attraction to the Rochelle or, or possibly Raviani might realize that they're both doing the same thing mm. and from Zan, she pointed out that is it strange that the Rochelle would go into his house mm. and John is here with saying pointing that it's possible that, that um I think Raviani is suspicious of a charlatan noting the word examined
1: mm mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is that possibility, of course, that Raviana is actually on the prowl for these quacks, and he maybe is trying to call him out, or if we're more generous, and maybe this is what you were saying, you know, maybe he wanted to draw him in, right? And so maybe he was reaching out, not in self-interest, but because he was trying to reach out to the rochel. and then in a kind of surprise ending, if we read it this way, he ends up learning something from the rochel. Now, there's something else that needs to be brought into here, which is that Um, And many have pointed out that in the ancient world, right, the the word rochel is obviously connected to rechimut. And those who would have been engaged in the exchange of goods were also the ones who exchanged news. And so somebody who was in this position by no fault of his own would have been associated with gossip, was actually news that perhaps was vital to be spread from place to place. Um, But the rochel here in the end, Right? It's very possible, and I, I only learned this the other day from the, the book um, that I was just pointing out from a of Zornberg, that you know, the land of Israel was, you know, it's the only place where Tzarat shows up, right? It's not something we have to worry about um, outside of the land of Israel, even the time of the Mikdash. The land of Israel, if you think about it is, as we know, it's a very long seaboard, many, many uh, merchants coming and going, it was a crossroads in the ancient world and may have been more susceptible to richilut in both senses, right? Both in terms of um, merchants and in terms of the exchange of ideas. Um, And so there's one possibility here actually that the rochel um, who is associated with this inappropriate behavior could be that he's a person who has um, made good on himself and has abandoned that kind of life, and he's coming now and shows Rav the pasuk, and Rav when he sees this pasuk of Netzor L'shoncha Ra from the mouth of a person who has lived it, who has been there and has, you know, renounced it, now he can actually learn the Torah in a different kind of way, now he actually can take in this pasuk, my whole life I read this pasuk, I didn't understand what it was saying, that if you really are eager for life, what should you do? And as you guys said, I'm engaged in Torah study, that's like, I'm not even going there, not even going to gossip, that pasuk wasn't so meaningful to me. But now hearing it from somebody who has been there and has changed, I understand the pasuk in a whole kind of other way. There's many other ways to read this, to read this story and I encourage you to keep thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for a long time and I'm not really satisfied. But I will say this, that what the Midrash is doing with it, it certainly by the end is calling into conversation the idea of Torah study and being careful with your speech. And telling us through this exchange, this, this ethical exchange really between these two characters that you could forget that learning Torah teaches you already the key of life. You don't need the samachaim. You do need to be thinking about how your Torah study is going to lead you to a place where your words are filled with, with goodness and your words are not filled, God forbid, with destructive antisocial behavior. And when we get to the end and it gets linked to back to Tzarat, there was that wordplay. I'm going to read now just at the end of the, the Hebrew. The Moshe mazheer et Yisrael Zot Torah Torah So this teaching that paying attention to your speech, making sure that your study of Torah leads you to a place where you are offering life-giving language to yourself and to to those around you, that gets connected back to the Pasuk about Sarat. Again, there's nothing here about skin disease. There is nothing here about quarantine. There's nothing here about a Kohen. It's directed to people like you and me who are engaged all the time in Torah study and speech. Okay, I want to show you one more example. For this one, I only brought the English. Um, and it's also a peticha. It's a peticha that begins with a pasuk here from Ecclesiastes. Do not allow your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. It's a wonderful turn of phrase. As if your mouth is disembodied from yourself as if we have control. Perhaps already there's the teaching, right? You have more control than you think in the way that your mouth behaves. And if you are not careful about it, your whole body, your whole self is going to be brought down into into hate. What I did here in the English is I divided up the Midrash into different sections. So you see one, two, three, four, five. The Midrash actually divides up the opening pasuk into sections and interprets it five times, five different times. And it applies this, again, very general pasuk to five different possibilities of who it's talking about. Who are these people who should be careful not to allow their mouths to cause their flesh to sin? Just glancing at the at the Midrash, look at the possibilities. The first one, Rabbi Shub and Levi interpreted the pasuk in terms of those who pledge charity in public, but do not give it. This is my personal favorite. I may or may not be guilty of having been in this category, right? You get a phone call. They say, thank you so much for your donation last year. Can we count on you for this year? And you say, of course, because you have good intentions of following through. And then you never mail in that thing, right? You never actually follow through with your credit card or you're in public and you accept you buy the Aliyah when it's you know Simcha Torah and you do it in honor of whatever, but then you don't follow through by sending in the check. Would that be your first association with lashon hara? I mean, that's like ridiculous, right? Lashon hara, we think you know, maligning somebody, God forbid, spreading a juicy piece of gossip that can destroy somebody's life. How is this? This is like. First of all, it's mundane, it's prosaic, it happens all the time, and it doesn't seem, I would, I would think it would be the furthest from our minds when it comes to Lashon Hara, but it helps if you think about it in a different kind of way. And Kayla mentioned this in the beginning, I have been working on a book for parents learning Vayikra with their kids, and when I wrote about these psukim of Tsarat, I kept finding myself using the words careful speech. Right? rather than do it in the negative and the positive. How do we build lives where we are careful with the way that we speak? And I asked myself, imagining a kid hearing that, like, what does that mean, careful speech? How are you careful? Like you choose your words, you know, you look, you, you use a dictionary, you make sure not to repeat yourself. Careful in what way? And one of the ways that I, that I wrote about, which is really inspired by this Midrash, is the sense that sometimes we're careless because we say things that we will do things, we make commitments and we don't follow through on them. And, and when we do that, right, again, it's sort of, it's unintentional, it's, we're well-meaning, right? We wanted to give that tzedakah or, or in the second one, Rabbi Binyamin, pretenders of scholarship, right? Did you, did you finish learning all the Mishnayot? Yeah, I did. I mean, I meant to, I mean, I plan to, I mean, I will, right? But I haven't yet. When we're not careful about our speech, or put it in the positive when we are careful about our speech and we link our our commitments to behavior and we really follow through, we not only learn to trust ourselves, right? Like it's the summer, I'm a teacher. So this is the time for setting goals. I wanna write every day. I wanna run every day. I wanna cook a healthy lunch every day. All right, so start doing that four days and then you can trust yourself that you'll be able to continue to do it. When we don't do that, we, we lose the trust in ourselves. And we also, Very slowly erode the kind of trust that's necessary for a society to function in its best possible way. So, if you look just very quickly at these categories, right, the first two we already said with Siddaka, that's taking place most likely in the Beit Knesset, the pretenders of scholarship, that's taking place, let's assume, in the Beit Midrash or in 2022 on Zoom, right person says he acts as if he studied Mikra, but he did not study Mikra. He studied Mishnah, but did not study Mishnah, right? Again, you're talking to your teacher and you're hoping and you're wishing that you finished all those things. The Midrash says don't do that. If you do that, look at the bottom there, even the small number of tractates that you have in your hands, you'll introduce confusion to them. Very enigmatic phrase, but you know, the stuff that you actually did learn, you're just going to get confused about what you did learn, you didn't learn, right, like stick to the, stick to the facts on the ground and build your learning up slowly, slowly. Number three, speaking Lashon Hara, that's as basic as it gets. Um, Vows, let's say that would be in the court system. And then number five is also connecting it to Miriam. So if we, if we allow this to become a kind of essay, we could say the Midrash is teaching us, be really careful with the ways that you make commitment and you, and you make commitments and you use your speech to build society in all of the main institutions of our society, the places we study, the places we pray, the marketplace, the court system, any place where you are, it matters how you talk, not even necessarily just about other people but it matters how you talk about yourselves. And the midrash concludes again by linking it sorry all the way to um our same word play the torat mitzrah Torah hamotsirah t- lefichach moshe mazhir et israel be'ol me'raham zot Torah t- mitzrah torat So the midrash here like the one we saw, concludes with a pasuk from our section, from Vayikar Yadalid, and again, moves us very, very far away from thinking about the laws of tzarat, the body, the materiality of it, the physicality, the connection with the Kohen, and moves it into a discussion about the ways that we could limit negative speech, and let's turn it into a positive, make sure that the speech acts that we're engaged in are both building a sense of trust for ourselves, are filled with Torah and will create a society where we can rely on each other, where we stand by our words and we know that when people speak, they can be trusted. That is my, my current takeaway from Tzarat, right? I think we, we know in, in the public arena how, how damaged speech has become and how hard it is to trust people who speak in the public sphere. So we have a lot of work to do. And the Torah here is really through Chazal, really giving us some, some concrete ideas of how we can be engaged in that work. All right, anybody have any questions or comments?
0: Um, um, e. Hearth brought up a comment a bit earlier about um, related to the um, kind of from like Araba, that possibly the role fails in imaginary figures. Um,
1: Love to hear more about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, feel free to, uh, if you want to clarify more on that, feel free to turn on your camera and or unmute yourself and let us uh, hear your thoughts. Um, and if anyone on Facebook has any questions, feel free to ask them in the Facebook chat. All right,
1: all right thank you all for to everybody, and um, hope to see everybody in person soon. All right, and thank you, Kayla and
0: to, um, thank you. to people joining us for night bitter. We also have the pleasure of learning by over Zoom with both our co fellows and general public this thursday night at 8 p.m with uh rabbi dr shlomo zakir he will be teaching on a topic very a bit more related to the Kolel's um masachot of sanhedrin he is speaking on the topic of self-defense in philosophy and halakha if this sound if you are joining if you are not already in the call and you want to join us on Thursday night you can sign up for the Zoom link at classes at risha dot org slash classes and for everyone else thank you for joining I hope you uh, got had some got some good Torah tonight and thank you to the call fellows it's been a long day of learning thank you for coming back for a bit more.